So a good number of years ago, uh, when I was in seminary, we were recording a CD. Uh, I think we were in Austria, because they had a nice church there. Well, they, they had nice, lots of nice churches in Italy too, but they had a nice church there that we could kind of borrow for four or five days uh, to, uh, to, to record a CD. And uh, one of the sisters gave me a book on the martyrs of the New World. Right, so the martyrs of, as I say, modern-day uh, North America, Canada. <coughs> and uh, I, I loved it. It was incredible. So between songs, between recordings, I'd read a couple of pages. And it was, uh, I'd never heard anything quite like it before, because I guess in, in primary school, understandably, uh, actually in primary school, I'm not even sure if you learn about martyrs. No, I don't, don't think, I'm not sure if they even use the word martyr. Probably not. Uh, so, like, the idea of giving your life for Christ, I, I don't, maybe, I think we're taught to, you know, recycle Coke cans out of love for, for, for Christ, or maybe hug, you know, walk around barefoot, or hug trees for love of Christ, but I don't think the idea of giving your life for Christ was probably ever mentioned, so this was just very, very new, you know, uh, even in secondary school, yeah, it's, it's more social justice rather than, than Catholic faith formation, so, I had heard, obviously, I knew, I knew what a martyr was, but I'd never read a book that went into such detail about what, what went on in their, in their minds and hearts. So, just the, 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 the history, the, the context is very important in all of this. So the New World is discovered uh, at the end of the 15th century. Uh, then the 16th century, we have a lot of people going over, not all with the best of intentions, you know, a lot of going over to... Uh, plunder, if you will, bring back all this gold and wealth that they, they said was over there. Uh, some had good intentions as well, uh, so there were, there were missionaries that went over. Um, a lot were going over for opportunity, for, for, for a new life, to get away from a somewhat depressing Europe at the time. Uh, it was tough, it was a tough life over there though, because imagine you go over to a country that is entirely un undeveloped, as in, like, so there are no roads, there are no cities, you can't just, you know, book in to a hotel for a while until you get yourself established, right? You arrive, whatever you have on your back is all you have. And then keep in mind, Canada, or even like around New York and that, the winters are hard. So you've got to get building quickly. But you don't own the land. <laughs> so how, you know, it's, so it seems all fun and games until you went over there. Um, so it was with, with some of these uh, Jesuit missionaries. The Jesuit missionaries here in the 17th century are absolutely phenomenal incredible people of faith. So there's this guy called Isaac. Uh, we'll talk about Jean, Jean, Jean the Brebeuf first. So Jean the Brebeuf, a big guy, um, six foot three-ish, uh, was, was, was quite, quite large in stature, and uh, he decided that he wants to be a Jesuit <coughs> missionary. So he went over and, uh, and landed there around, well, as I say, the, 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 all, all the today's boundaries have all, have all changed. So um, it was in or around New York-ish and, 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 and north. Okay, so there were two, okay, just trying try to keep in mind here the politics, it's, it's, it's difficult, okay? So you've got the Huron tribe that he was working with, you have the Uruguay tribe who hated them and were fighting with them regularly because again, you're, you're competing for limited hunting, limited salmon, whatever they could eat or find or fish. Uh, you're, you're competing for these resources. Then you also have the French and the English fighting for the land. So as a missionary, you're, all you want to do is help these souls find God. 
whereas all around you, everything is changing. Do you know what I mean? And at any moment, because you see, you're a big white guy, you stand out for multiple reasons, but the, the people, the Hurons and, and both the Hurons and, and, and Iroquois were very, very superstitious. You know, even to this day, whenever you see, what's the name of that Disney movie? Mulan, hang on, is she the Indian one? No, Pocahontas, or those, those ones, all those all kind of Indian uh, cartoons. It always shows them to have a deep spiritual side, which, which was true. The difficulty, which I find very, very interesting when you, when you consider the situation today, being open to spirituality in general also leads you open to the negative spirits that are out there. So just to say, you know, I'm, I'm a spiritual person, which is quite a common expression today, is a very, very dangerous thing. Because what spirits are you open to? What spirits are you listening to? Because there are not just good spirits out there. So you say, I'm just spiritless, as long as I have to be inspired by the spirit. Oh, what spirits? Uh, that's why we need the, the church and its teachings and the gospel and uh, to, to, to reel it all in. Because one thing that, so when John went over, uh, again, it was probably their first time seeing a white man in many, in many of the places where he went. Uh, he was traveling around in these canoes designed, designed for people half his size. So these, you can imagine his knees kind of cocking out uh, for hours and hours on end going up and down rivers. Uh, cramped out, and then he had to obviously stay in their accommodations, the Huron accommodation, once he got there. And he, he wrote a detailed account of what it was like. And he said, it is, it is horrific, horrific. Um, they had mainly teepees or larger teepees, uh, but because it was so cold, you had to light the fire inside your teepee. So there had to be an opening to let the smoke out, but not too big or to let the cold in. So inside the teepees, it was absolutely chokingly smoky. No personal hygiene whatsoever. So the various fragrances were comparable to the lodge down there. I mean, it's uh, the, the various, like, it, it did not smell good. But like, it, was, it wasn't just like, you know, this, oh, this is kind of uncomfortably bad. This is actually choking me. You know, and the, imagine the smell of urine and all the rest. Like, really, really unpleasant. Really, really unpleasant. But in this spiritual openness that the Hurons had as well um, allowed for all kinds of, of moral degradation in that uh, people believe that if you dreamt something this was the spirit speaking to you prophesying things to you okay which meant that if you had a dream about a certain girl in the camp and in that dream certain fantasies were enacted well this is this is what I have to do I suppose and then you were justified in doing it, which, as you can imagine, leads to all sorts of uh, immorality. So there were huge, huge problems on, on, a, on a practical level, uh, huge problems on, on a spiritual level as well, because if anything went wrong, if the crops failed or if they got sick, they blamed the white sorcerer from Europe. You got the blame. Anything went wrong, it's your head, and sometimes quite literally. And then, unfortunately, then Europeans did bring things like smallpox, uh, and things o over to the to the new world so diseases that they didn't have diseases that they didn't have any natural immunity for when these missionaries went over or not not just missionaries when the europeans came over we often brought these things with us that devastated the local indigenous populations okay so you can see it, it, it's it's getting it's getting complicated it's getting complicated so you imagine then in this world uh you're you're trying to bring the good news right you're trying to bring 
this message of hope and also a sort of the lifestyle that goes with following Christ. You know, so selfless love, uh, forgiving the offences of the other, looking out for the good of the other, turning the other cheek, um, comforting those who mourn, providing for those who are poor. You know, there's a whole culture that goes with our faith. It's not just kind of a, a list of teachings. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we form society, uh, the inherent dignity of each person. That's a Christian belief that comes from the belief that we're all created in God's image and likeness. So, Jeannie, where do you start? Like, someone, this is Jesus, and Jesus loves you, and Jesus is God. But Jesus died on the cross for you. And then, of course, the immediate questions, how if God, if God is powerful, how could he die, and so on and so forth. Okay, so all of this basic catechesis to get across. But you're always in danger, even from the people that you're missioning to and the people that you lived with, the Hurons. Because if they got sick or their crops failed, they blamed you. But then there's also a danger that you could be attacked at any moment from the Iroquois just up the river there, who could come down and slaughter the Hurons because they hate them. And then on one occasion, the uh, English overran the French, so all of the missionaries had to leave. So they, they, came, they headed on back to Europe, and then the French again, eventually regained the territory, so all the missionaries are allowed to return. Now you go back to your mission, the people, are, people, the people haven't moved, the Indians haven't moved, but your mission is gone, start from scratch. Like, it's just the, 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 the determination of these missionaries was simply incredible. Uh, Isaac Jogue then was a, 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 another Jesuit missionary who went over uh, in the 70, early 17th century. And he was captured by the Iroquois, so the, the neighboring tribe who were a very war-like or warring um, tribe, very, very violent. So when they caught him, they tied him up and they allowed the children to torture them. So the, the kids would come over with little knives and slash them and would eat their fingers. Uh, all of their hair was pulled out, their beards were pulled out, all their fingernails and toenails were pulled out, and they were slashed and beaten. And it was just simply horrific, because at any moment you could die, or maybe, <laughs> you could imagine if you're there with all this torture going on, you'd be imagining, imagine if I don't die. <laughs> imagine if I actually survive this and have to heal, <laughs> I'd actually, maybe at a certain point, you're like, just, just kill, just, just let it be done, like, you know. But, um, and he was there for months, 13 months of that kind of treatment. It's just, it's superhuman to be able to survive that at all. So he was about to be burned, and I would imagine he was seeing this as sweet relief. He was about to be burned, and at that point, uh, he was freed from the camp. So friends or French were able to, to free him from the camp and he survived. So he, he boarded uh, a boat to come back to Europe, which took two months in the winter in a relatively small uh, boat, a ship, a small ship though. Came back to Europe in the winter, the, I think it was Christmas Eve of 1643. And as I was reading this account, I was just like, that is absolute imagine like you would be he, he arrived in Europe emaciated, completely unrecognizable. Uh, he was <coughs> welcomed then into the Jesuit community where he was rested up and he was given permission to continue to celebrate Mass because ordinarily, if you can't hold the host because you haven't got fingers, you can't celebrate Mass. 
So he was given special permission from Pope Urban VII to celebrate Mass using the butts of fingers that he had. Great. Three months later, he gets on a ship to go back. When I read that, I went, you did what? <laughs> like, Because he was, he was celebrated as a hero. He was already celebrated as, as a living martyr in Europe. If he was doing this for the glory, stay back in Europe. They already think you're a saint. No, straight back. Are you kidding me? A couple of months later, in the spring of 1940, uh, 1644, he heads back to Canada. And... Uh, eventually then is, is, is caught again by the Iroquois and he could see this coming like he knew they hated him uh, he was a negotiator in a peace treaty between the, 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 the Hurons and the, the Iroquois and uh, it went well it was successful but then afterwards they turned on him and so he was taken and he was uh, tomahawked uh, Jean de Brebeuf then similarly before him the Iroquois, when they captured him, they believed that if you could make a man scream, then you had taken his spiritual power. So the way they would torture a person was, you know, to make him make him roar. You know, to, that that was then then you had defeated him. But through all of the the, the torture that he went through, uh, he never did. He never did, and they could not believe just the the, the resilience of the man. So he was taken into this Iroquois village greet it with just a shower of stones, the stones and rocks, and you're probably tied, so you can't defend yourself from anything, so you're getting hit with all of these things. Beaten with clubs, tied to a, tied to a post. It is said that Jean de Rebeuf kissed the post before he was tied to it. Then uh, they got axe heads, roasted them in a fire, and gave you a collar of axe heads, so it just, just burn and roast you all around. Uh, a po- roasting, roasting hot poker again heated in the fire was thrust down his throat, burning all of his, all of his insides. And uh, but in, at no point doing this did did they did he did he groan at all. Then it was considered that the life force of a man was in his heart. So when he was, I'm not sure if he was dead at this point, but they cut out his heart. No, he wasn't dead. They cut out his heart and ate it. Uh, and then he was then he was uh, burned to death and decapitated. So it's just interestingly, I he he had kind of premonitions that this would happen. In in his in his diaries, he speaks about he had such spiritual ecstasies, and so many of his missions or missionary efforts failed. And yet, I just love that that line from Corinthians, Second Corinthians: the love of Christ urges us on. Love of Christ urges us on. Why was he doing this? Were they doing this for any sort of notoriety or fame? Absolutely not. At any second, you could be killed by the people you're missioning to, by their enemies, or maybe even by the English. You just, like, danger on all sides. But love of Christ, love for each one of those souls, urges us on. And that's what they did. That's what they gave their lives for. It's... uh, they're just in- incredible, incredible men. Uh, I think ultimately they knew this would be their end. But so be it. That was, that was their take on it. If this is how I go, then this is how I go. <coughs> I know Jean de Bebeuf, before his camp was attacked, they knew the attack was coming. But he stayed with his people. Like, it's just... 
I was just talking to our dear altar server there in, in the sacristy beforehand, and he just said, you know, you, you, hear, you hear these stories, like, and you just feel like a wuss. <laughs> Do you know, I had to get up this morning at 7 o'clock. It was hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, these people didn't sleep for 16 years, and then they were slashed and the whole lot. That was hard. That was hard. <laughs> like, we live in the lap of luxury. But so, so easily, like any sort of a sacrifice at all, and do we have to? I think this is maybe the point of, of everything we're, we're hearing today. If we really live with that, that attitude of St. Paul, the love of Christ urges us on, then we're capable of accepting sacrifices and transforming them into something good whatever they may be. We're not saying we have to load, load ourselves with sacrifices at all, but the day, the day generally provides enough sacrifices for us uh, through people, through circumstances, through whatever it may be. Uh, so in all of these things, <clears throat> to sanctify them. To sanctify them. And all, is it also like for any of us involved in, in, in ministry then, like to see that so many of the, the great saints and missionaries failed initially. Curie of ours as well failed initially for years nine years in ours before anybody converted so the love of Christ urges us on we do what we do because we love the Lord and we leave the fruit to him and so we ask the good Lord to renew our faith and renew <coughs> our acceptance of little sacrifices that come our way that these little sacrifices won't be seen as, as obstacles to our day but would be seen as channels through which we can learn humility, reliance on God, not reliance on ourselves. We can learn patience. We can learn faith. We can learn to be more like Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for love of each one of us. Amen.